You're listening to Disney Radio, Florida's in-car welcoming station. Well, the robins are back. That's a sure sign of spring. You know, all these other people think I'm talking to them, but I'm really just talking to you. I'm going to Disney World. The call of the open road brings us a new wonder. A carriage without a horse. Okay, everybody, get ready. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the Muppets proudly present the final demonstration of Muppet Vision 3D. W Radio. Your information station. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. This is show number 114 for the week of April 12th, 2009. And as always, I am your host, Lou Mangello. Thank you for tuning in again this week. We're going to start off with news from around Walt Disney World, and much of it involves some changes to, as well as new dining opportunities, as well as new guest experiences in downtown Disney, and even a few rumors about what might be coming back to the Magic Kingdom. I'm proud this week to bring you an exclusive interview with an author who brings a new perspective to Walt Disney World in his series of books, where he takes you on a fictional adventure through the parks after all the guests have left. He is New York Times best-selling author of both the Kingdom Keepers and Peter and the Starcatcher series, Mr. Ridley Pearson. We'll discuss the first two books in his Kingdom Keeper series and how they came to be, as well as what may be coming next in the series. We'll also discuss his work with Dave Barry on the Peter and the Starcatchers titles, which explores the world of Peter Pan before the J.M. Barry novel and Disney animated film. I'll play some more of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. We'll start off this week's news in the Magic Kingdom, where the Friar's Nook has opened up in Fantasyland, replacing the Village Fry Shop. It's currently serving hot dogs, french fries, and soft drinks, as well as carrot cake for dessert in its first few weeks. However, that menu may change, as it's rumored to be serving, quote, tropical refreshments sometime in the future. An expanded outdoor seating area is also available. We'll definitely keep our eyes on the menu to see if it does change at all. Over in Tomorrowland, the new stage show Stitch's Supersonic Celebration is expected to open on or about May 10th, 2009, as work on the new stage is nearly complete. Staying in Tomorrowland, the new meet-and-greet area at the former Galaxy Palace Theater location is also close to completion. That is rumored to be the new home for Tomorrowland favorites Buzz Lightyear and Stitch for meet-and-greets as well as autographs. Another rumor that's been floating around is that character dining may be returning over to Liberty Square at the Liberty Tree Tavern, which stopped having a character dining experience back in January. If this is the case, we may start seeing characters return in the next few weeks. Obviously, we'll keep a very close eye on that. Moving over to Epcot, the electric umbrella in Future World reopened from refurbishment with a new menu that includes not just cheeseburgers and bacon double cheeseburgers, but a new toasted turkey sub, as well as a Caesar salad, Greek salad, 
chicken breast nuggets and chocolate chip cookies, as well as cheesecake and no sugar added brownies and fruit bowls for dessert. The new children's menu offers chicken nuggets, grilled chicken wraps, as well as kids cheeseburger meals. All those run about $4.98 each. Staying in Epcot, but moving over to World Showcase, but still talking about the food. I don't make the news, I just report it. The refreshment port in World Showcase also reopened after a brief renovation. And while the name remains the same, the menu has also changed as the removal of McDonald's products from the theme parks continues. The new menu features unbranded chicken breast nuggets, french fries, as well as a new Northern Blast ice cream treat. That is described as soft serve ice cream with a choice of topping blended in. Definitely we'll have to check out that at the refreshment port. Moving over to Disney's Hollywood Studios, Walt Disney One Man's Dream has found a new sponsor in D23, the official community for Disney fans as the signage outside the attraction indicates although there has been no noticeable change to either the attraction itself or the film that follows. Staying in the studios, the Backlot Tour has also reopened after a small refurbishment, and now, although there still is a live cast member tour guide, the narration is pre-recorded with a male or female voice used during the tour based on who the tour guide is on the tram. Again, no other major changes have been seen or made to the tour itself. Star Wars Weekends is approaching at the end of May, and the celebrity guest list, subject to change, has been announced. May 22nd through 24th, celebrities include Ray Park, Warwick Davis, a staple of Star Wars Weekends, as well as James Arnold Taylor. Ray Park was Darth Maul in The Phantom Menace, and Warwick Davis played Wicket in Return of the Jedi, as well as Wald in Phantom Menace, and James Arnold Taylor voiced Obi-Wan Kenobi in The Clone Wars He's going to be a guest at the Behind the Force exhibit. From May 29th through the 31st, Peter Mayhew and Matthew Wood will be appearing. Peter Mayhew, of course, is known as Chewbacca, and Matthew Wood was a supervising sound editor for the Star Wars prequels as well as the Clone Wars, and he was also the voice of General Grievous as well as some of the battle droids. June 5th through the 7th brings us Jeremy Bullock, David Prowse, and Matt Lanter. Jeremy Bullock is best known for his role as Boba Fett, David Prowse, of course, is none other than Darth Vader. And Matt Lanter was the voice of Anakin Skywalker in The Clone Wars. He also will be appearing as a guest in Behind the Force. The final weekend of Star Wars Weekends at Disney's Hollywood Studios is June 12th through the 14th. That brings us as celebrity guests Dave Filoni and Tamura Morrison. Dave Filoni was supervising director for The Clone Wars. And Tamura Morrison played Jango Fett as well as thousands of other characters as he was the unmasked clones in episodes two and three. Staying in the studios real quick, just a quick reminder, May 1st is going to mark the anniversary of Disney's Hollywood Studios. 20 years have come and gone, and while Disney has not announced any formal plans to commemorate the event, don't forget that WDW Celebrations is going to be holding their Studios 20 event May 1st and 2nd. The two-day event is going to have many opportunities to meet and spend time with other fans, there's going to be group rides, scavenger hunts, a history walk, much, much more. You can go find out more as well as register over at www.celebrations.com. Moving over to Disney's Animal Kingdom, and yes, once again, the topic turns to food. Disney's Animal Kingdom has recently introduced a wonderful new type of dining program called Picnic in the Park. And as the name suggests, you can actually turn your meal in the park into a little adventure. Here's how you do it. 
in the morning, you can stop by the Picnic in the Park podium located in front of guest relations or visit the Tusker House podium in Africa. There, you select what tier of entrees you'd like as well as your choice of sides and desserts. Each picnic comes in a reusable bag packed with plates and utensils and a map to help guide you to the different picnic spots throughout the park. When you place your order, you're also going to be able to select a pickup time no less than two hours from the time that your order is placed. When your pickup time arrives, you can get your order at the Kusafiri Coffee Shop and Bakery, which is adjacent to the Tusker House Restaurant in Africa, and make payment at that time. And if you're on the Disney Dining Plan, Picnic in the Park may be used as a quick service meal and requires just one adult entitlement per meal amount. So a meal for three is going to require three adult entitlements. I mentioned tiers. Let's talk a little bit about the different tiers. The first tier one are sandwiches, and you can select from turkey focaccia, chicken wrap, a ham grinder, or a tuna pita. A meal for three is going to run $24.99 plus tax. That'll give you three sandwiches, one large gourmet side, three desserts or fruit, and three bottles of Dasani water. You can get meals for up to six people. That would run $48.99 plus tax. Obviously, that'll include six sandwiches, four sides, six desserts, and six waters. The gourmet sides, which come in 16-ounce containers, include either chips, coleslaw, a corn medley, green beans, mac and cheese, mashed potatoes and gravy, orzo pasta, potato wedges, fruit salad, or tomato and cucumber salad. Desserts include apples, brownies, cookies, cornbread, Rice Krispie treats, or oranges. The second tier includes rotisserie chicken or ham. A meal for three is $29.99 plus tax. That includes six pieces of chicken or one pound of ham, two large sides, three desserts or fruit, and three bottles of water. Now, the best part about the picnic in the park is that you can have a picnic in a Disney theme park, and the picnic spots are located throughout Disney's Animal Kingdom and include places like on Discovery Island, near the Discovery Island trails, or behind Pizza Fari. Over in Camp Mini Mickey, there are two locations near Campfire Treats. In Africa, you can go to the Dawa Bar, you can go behind the Tusker House Restaurant, a really nice little secluded out-of-the-way area there by the fort, near the Harambe Fruit Market, the Tamu Tamu Courtyard, or near Bradley Falls. And this, and, and I use Bradley Falls as a great example because I think this is where guests are going to have the opportunity to really get to know and, more importantly, explore Disney's Animal Kingdom. Because if I ask you, do you know offhand where Bradley Falls is, you might say no. And hopefully this will introduce you to a place that you may never have thought to look for or to explore or to sit and take in the park, really savor it. FYI, it's by the caravan stage. You can also take the train out to Rafiki's Planet Watch near Conservation Station. In Asia, you can go across from Flights of Wonder near the Maharaja Jungle Trek near the Discovery River. And in Dinoland, you can sit across from Triceratops Spin. Moving beyond the theme parks, the new Characters in Flight balloon ride experience at Downtown Disney has been previewed by cast members, many of whom have actually contacted me and said the flight was absolutely spectacular. The tethered balloon journey takes about three minutes to reach its maximum height. It stays there for about four minutes and takes three more to return. The balloon's basket, they're saying, is large enough so that guests can move around all 360 degrees for amazing views of downtown Disney, Saratoga Springs, and much, much more. It's expected to open to guests in just a matter of days, and operating hours are expected to be from 10.30 a.m. through 11 p.m. Sunday through Thursday and 10.30 a.m. until midnight on Friday and Saturday. Of course, weather conditions always must be permitting. 
Staying in downtown Disney, Celebration Plaza has recently been created in the West End Plaza area of Pleasure Island, right near the former Comedy Warehouse location. Every night, starting at 5 p.m., a dance party called Celebrate Tonight is held that includes DJs, stilt walkers, lots of music, as well as crowd interaction really aimed at helping guests celebrate their special occasions. The DJs are the party hosts. They try and get people to join in in dances, sing-alongs to celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, whatever it is guests want to celebrate. It runs from 5 p.m. until 11 p.m. Sunday through Thursday and 6 p.m. through midnight Fridays and Saturdays. Also in downtown Disney, Paradiso 37, the new high-energy restaurant and bar featuring cuisine from North, South, and Central America, is going to welcome guests to its tables in May at Pleasure Island in downtown Disney. The Lakeside Eatery is going to offer a variety of menu items representing the 37 countries of the Americas, plus an international wine bar, 37 varieties of tequila, and 10 signature frozen margaritas. This new, very lively downtown Disney restaurant is going to feature nightly entertainment. It's also going to be open daily from 11 a.m. until late into the evening. An official opening date has not yet been released, but it is expected to be somewhere around the first week of May. That's going to do it for all the news this week. As always, if you have news that you want to share, email me at lou at wdwradio.com or to discuss these news items or anything else, please come by the forums over at wdwradio.com. As Disney enthusiasts are constantly clamoring for new, interesting content to bring some of what we love most about Disney to us in our homes, whether in the form of online media, podcasts, magazines, or books, it's a great way to stay connected to something we all enjoy so very much. So when a book comes out that not just talks about Walt Disney World, but it's actually a fictional tale set inside it, you can certainly understand why it piqued my interest. And with that, I bought and quickly read through my next guest's first in a series of books called The Kingdom Keepers, Disney After Dark. So it is my pleasure to welcome New York Times best-selling author of The Kingdom Keepers and Peter on the Starcatcher series, Mr. Ridley Pearson, to the show. Mr. Pearson, welcome. Hi, Lou. Great to be here. I'm all a Twitter. <laughs> It, uh, it is wonderful to have you. Um, I, obviously, I am a fan of the Kingdom Keepers book. And I got to say, just starting out, the Kingdom Keepers books, sort of a, a very different path for you because you've written more than 20 or so suspense and mystery thrillers, certainly not aimed at a younger audience, but for adults with titles like The Killer View and The Killer Weekend and <laughs> Soon The Killer Summer, very much sort of the polar opposite of stories that, are set inside It's a Small World. I'm a homicidal maniac. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, what this all came out of is I, I've written crime novels for 25 years, and uh, I'm in a crazy rock band with um, Stephen King and Mitch Album, Scott Turow, Amy Tan, and Dave Barry. And uh, Dave and I have become very good friends being in this band, the Rock Bottom Remainders. And um, 
not so long ago, maybe seven or eight years ago now, I was going to take my kids to Disney World for the first time. If you can imagine, I'd never been. I was, I was, I think, 49 years old or something. I've never been to Disney World. And Dave said, hey, if you're going to Disney World, I'm, I'm the world's pro on Disney World. We're going together. So our families went together, and my publisher, who was a division of Disney, my adult publisher, found out we were going, and they had us treated like John Travolta or something. I mean, we were just treated like royalty. We had personal guides who cut all the lines and took us into the back of Mickey's house so our kids could meet Mickey. And the only sad part of this is to this day, our kids still think that's how you do Disney World. But um, it was an amazing experience, and I called to thank my publisher, and they referred me to Disney Books, who had actually set this whole thing up. So I called a woman named Wendy Lefkin at Disney Books, to thank her for their treatment of us down in Disney World. It was just a magical weekend. And I said, you know, if there's ever anything I can do. And she said, well, what about writing for kids? And I said, hey, I'm dying to write for kids. And she said, what if you set one of your adult thrillers inside our theme parks, but no one got killed or hurt so that we could actually publish this thing? And I said, well, Wendy, I'd love to do something like that, but you'd have to give me full access to your parks because I'm a research fanatic. And she said, let me check with our attorneys. And she called back two days later or something and said, it's done. You have full access to our parks. So all of a sudden, I had the key to the kingdom. I could show up at any hour. I went at like 4 and 5 in the morning when the park was closed and got an Imagineer as a guide and went into the parks when they were absolutely shut down, which was going to be the idea behind the books. It was... It was kind of a, a riff on Toy Story where, you know, when Andy shuts the door, the toys come alive. And I thought, you know, what happens in this place when everybody leaves? What if the characters all came alive? And, and that was sort of the basis of this. And, and I went in and I got personal tours as they opened up of, uh, I don't know, seven or eight of the major rides. Pirates of the Caribbean, Splash Mountain, Thunder Mountain, uh, Haunted Mansion, Small World, Space Mountain, on and on and on. Uh, the employees would show to wake up these rides and I would get to see the ride when it was closed down and walk it and then get to go on the ride before they fully engaged. You know, there's almost a NASA countdown to all these rides going off. Before they were fully engaged, I could get on a boat or a roller coaster or whatever um, and take the ride before everything was turned on. So I went through Small World, for instance, under emergency lighting just in the boat. Uh, and you want a creepy experience, <laughs> go, through, go through a small world when the lights are off. Um, you know, so there were all these great moments. And I have my little writer's notebook and I would just take furious notes. And then I came back and, and built this story about five kids who get into Disney World after dark and all they encounter and uh, called it the Kingdom Keepers. And I, I just have had so much fun with this. I can't tell you. You know, when you were first telling the story of your first visit to Disney World with Dave Barry and your VIP tour guides, many, many people, I'm sure, myself included, had that moment of, oh, God, that's so cool. When you started talking about having the ride, the, the Magic Kingdom to yourself and personal tours, that's when the, the geek level, the geekometer went off the charts. And many people, myself included, could just imagine uh, what an amazing experience that must have been. It turned me into a geek, I'll tell you. I just, you know, it's a fascinating place when it's shut down. And uh, you, your imagination goes wild. It's actually, as I tell the kids, I go across the country and talk about these books. And, 
And the funny thing about it is it's the most magical place on earth when there's music running and there's color lights and it is creepy when you're in a park that holds 80,000 people and no one is there. It's just flat out creepy. It's a wonderful creepy. Uh, and that, of course, added greatly to the book. So at one point, they, they go down into the Utilidor in Magic Kingdom. And, you know, they're just uh, – we, we, I got so much access. In fact, Dave was down there giving a talk at some convention at one point, And uh, he sort of shirt-tailed – Dave Barry. He shirt-tailed on uh, one of these research trips. We went into the uh, Haunted Mansion together, and they showed us how all the tricks, all the illusions are done in there. Uh, and our jaws were on the floor. It's just, it's, these guys are amazing. I could not imagine what you saw, but you're right. It definitely translated that, that magical creepiness definitely translated into the book. Um, and well, yeah, and it's sincere. You know, the kids go, is it really like this? I, yeah, it is. It's really <laughs> like this. It's weird. I mean, an example, uh, which just shows you, you know, I, I mean, you're a Disney guy, so you'll appreciate this because I just... It has made me fall in love with the company and the people who imagine all this stuff. I, I went through uh, Pirates of the Caribbean when it was shut down. It was under emergency lighting, and they turned on just the boat so the boat would move. And I went through with an Imagineer. And we got into the Pirate Cove where the you know the, normally the cannon fire goes back and forth between the frigate and shore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, you know – if the ride's on, there's splashes in the water and the thundering. But well, there was nothing. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop in there. And I looked over, and there's Blackbeard up on the frigate, and he's just frozen. You know, he isn't, of course, moving. He's an audio animatronic that's turned off. And I said to my Imagineer, would it be possible for me to go hang out with Blackbeard on the frigate? And he said, we're supposed to let you do whatever you want to do. <laughs> so as we got under one of the bridges, they shut down the the boat and I got to get out and climb around on the catwalks and go backstage and I went up to Captain Blackbeard on the frigate uh, where I was you know one one inch from him and what what absolutely astounded me is when you get up next to that guy he has hairs glued onto his arms just like human hair he has moles and and uh warts and scars and his teeth are brown his eyes are bloodshot all this detail that make him look absolutely human and yet when you're in that ride lou you're what you know 20 yards from this guy you can't see any of that stuff and and i said to the imagineer why would disney go to the expense and the effort to make this guy so human when you're one foot away from him, when you never get this close, you're 20 yards away from this guy. And the Imagineer's answer was, Ridley, if we didn't go to that detail, you would sense what we'd left out. You might not see it, but you would sense he didn't look human. And I went, you guys are amazing, because that's the detail they go to on every ride. That's right. It's that level of detail that 99% of the guests will never get to see. Many won't appreciate, but again, it's only what Disney does. And you illustrate a great point that I that I tell people all the time when we talk about backstage tours and maybe seeing things that would spoil the magic. I think it's quite the opposite because you sound like someone who, having seen that, it enhances the normal on-ride experience for you because you know what goes on backstage, what you that, that level yeah. of detail. I can't agree more. I mean, I think that... Uh, I, I, sort of ironically, the more information you get of, about the Magic Kingdom, especially, 
um, the more fascinated you are, especially as an adult. I mean, there's a line here between maybe 14 and under, 13 and under, and those of us above that age, and I qualify, I'm at least 16 now. Um, and, you know, I think that actually our experience there is enhanced by knowing the detail they go to, uh, knowing the effort they've gone to to sell us the story. Uh, all this came out of when I had that conversation with Wendy Lefkin, the part she, she attached to was in describing how excited I'd been to be there as a storyteller, which is really all I am. I mean, I'm a writer, but I'm a storyteller. I said to her, what impressed me on that first visit with my kids was I sensed an enormous backstory on every ride, that there was this great attention to detail to story, that somebody somewhere knew much more about these rides than there was just some little doll out there talking to you. And she said, you know, you've picked up on something that many people don't which is that the Imagineers build these huge books behind the rides. They know the whole backstory of what's going on. And if you're that into it, you're our guy for telling these stories. And that's really, I think, what got me to work. You, it, it's exactly what I was going to say, is that you are a storyteller, and I think you were able to pick up on the fact that everything you see, everything you experience, is based on story. It is not there by accident. There is a meaning and there's a purpose behind it. And you can exactly. see that come through uh, in the book. And, and, yeah, I mean, you know, the book, it, it's, it's almost mislabeled, I think, because it says it's, well, for kids 10 and up and for teens, which makes it a very easy, but it's a very interesting read. And I found that as I started going through it, it very much became a page turner, you know, wanting to find out what was going on next in the story, what other locations they were going to visit. Yeah, well, good. That's, I mean, that's what I do in my adult fiction is I, I really am trying to be a storyteller. I'm trying to suspend your disbelief and put you into a magical world where you can't put the book down. Uh, the second book takes place in Animal Kingdom, and I had the same experience there, Disney at Dawn, where I was able to uh, go backstage and visit the vet center and visit the elephant cages and go into the bat enclosure. I got to walk Everest Expedition, Expedition Everest, uh, all the way up to the Yeti and hang out at the Yeti and, and discuss with the people who designed and built the structure, how it was built. Then they put me on the ride alone, um, and I went through and rode the ride alone. Then I rode it with some guests to watch their reaction. You know, you get uh, the, the next book, which is just coming out in August. It's Kingdom Keepers <laughs> 3, but it's set in Epcot. And I have had the most amazing time. Talk about a park where there are stories, stories, stories built for you to see. Uh, it's just simply amazing. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting more and more excited about this series as I go. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to reading uh, the second and now obviously the third in the series. Uh, but there's a lot of different elements to the book um, that as I was reading, I, I was making notes on. And one of the things that really intrigued me was the idea and the use of these holographic hosts, these DHI, these yeah. Disney Hosts Interactive. Very, you know, high-end, new-age tech. Are you very much a, a tech person? What sort of brought that idea upon? Yeah, I am a tech person, and it, it happened that, uh, I mean, I was looking away. I, I had to find a way into the story, just to, to your adult listeners. I had to find a way into this story that the attorneys would approve. That was one of the caveats of this whole thing. And, and Disney has very strict attorneys. 
And so the idea was that I wasn't going to break a ride. I wasn't going to have kids hurt. I wasn't going to in any way threaten anyone. And the joke was, of course, how do you write a thriller where no one's threatened? And, and they had tried this a couple of times and failed miserably because they couldn't find a way to make an engaging story in a place where nothing bad could happen. So I backed up the whole idea and said, you know, that I felt the solution was going to be to not have it be kids, to have it be kids, but they weren't kids. And so that's where I started trying to solve this puzzle of how can I get this thing past the attorneys? And what I came up with, I, it happened, you know, as, as God and luck would have it, uh, that I saw a daylight holographic image contraption. You can buy these things online. They're about the size of a cooking pan and if you put they're very carefully engineered and if you put like a oh a, a coin or a strawberry they use a little plastic pig in these things if you put that in the bottom of this dish and then it has a lid on it and a little circle on top a holograph a hologram of this thing pops up above the dish and looks absolutely real you cannot believe how material this thing looks. And you can wave your hand right through it. Of course, it doesn't exist. And it happened that I saw that thing right when I was working on all this, and I went, wow, I've got it. I know how to do this. The kids become holograms. Then anything that happens to them, it's happening to a hologram. It's not happening to a kid. And so that made all the difference with the attorneys. So it, it occurred to me there's no reason actually you could build one of these things to scale and do it right in Disney World with a person in the bottom of it. And maybe someday we'll do that. Right now, uh, as we speak, we're working on setting up a Kingdom Keepers tour at the Magic Kingdom. So, you know, who knows to what degree we'll go. But um, I, I'm fascinated by technology, and I think Disney is always kind of on the leading edge of entertainment technology. And so I created these five teenage hosts who act as models for these holograms. And uh, they go in, they have to you know, wear the devices like in the Matrix where you wear little tags on you and jump around on green screens and all their movements are recorded. They record vocal recordings so that they can communicate with a guest. And if a certain guest comes into the park, one of these holograms comes up and says, Lou, how are you doing? Nice to see you today. Can I take you to, and names a ride. And... The problem is in the story that they didn't realize when the kids went to bed at night, the real kids, they would wake up inside the Magic Kingdom as their holograms. And, and off we go into the story. Right. And, and that's where it is. It's a great mix of science fiction and fantasy and adventure. You know, I, I kept on in my mind going, there's clues and hints being dropped like a Da Vinci code for young Walt Disney World fans. And it's, it's that that's nice it. mix of all those different genres. That's exactly right. And, and, and it happens in the second book and the third book. I love puzzles. And I think kids, I think any readers do. It's fun because the Kingdom Keepers, although as you pointed out, it says 10 and up, um, I know from the email I get that a whole bunch of adults are reading and loving these books. And, and that thrills me because, of course, I'm an adult you know, writing these books and uh, I enjoy them. So it's, it's been fun for me that there's kind of a, a spread across the board of who's reading them. Right. Well, as a Disney enthusiast myself and a Disney fan, I was intrigued, like I said at the beginning, because it takes place inside the Magic Kingdom primarily. And you use some great locations, specifically in Walt Disney World in the Magic Kingdom, some real, 
some not. And that's the thing. You know, you have to, especially us as adults, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit rather than sort of pick out, well, that's not exactly accurate. The rock is really on the left side and on the right side. Exactly. <laughs> because yeah. you just, it's a very fun book. Well, I appreciate that. I had fun in Cinderella's Castle. And, uh, you know, I, I, they took me up to Walt's original apartment up there. And uh, one of the cast members was up there putting on makeup. And I wrote it into the novel at the top of this wild maze that the kids have to get to. And lo and behold, the novel took off and did so well. And within about six months, Disney announced that they were going to remodel the office, right. the, the apartment, and turn it into a overnight for guests. And they've done that now. So um, it's really fun because the books have kind of had an influence on the parks. And, of course, the parks have a huge influence on the books. Right. And, and I, just as a quick aside, the more you keep talking about you going up to Cinderella Castle and riding Everest and walking through Everest, it's going quickly from envy to jealousy for me <laughs> as to what you've been able to see. <laughs> well, it, it's an awful lot of fun, I tell you. So uh, next stop is probably, uh, I, I have a feeling we'll go out to um, Burbank and get through the archives at some point. That's my big hope. Uh, again, you are, are very much piquing the interest of uh, of, of Disney and fans. And maybe even Disney. I've been on the Disney cruise, and I would like some way to work the Disney cruise into this. So that may be the fourth book. Excellent. Uh, yeah, and like I said, if, when you talk about the, the cruise, I haven't done the cruise. It's totally great. Yeah, the cruise is wonderful, and I think there's a huge opportunity for for uh, you know another story to take place. Uh, there and Castaway Key and listen, I'm I'm with you. If you want to help, if you want some inspiration, <laughs> I'd be more than happy to go on your research trips with you. So. All right. <laughs> but like any good storyteller, like the Imagineers, like Walt, and like you, it's about characters. And forgive me, maybe I'm a ten year old kid trapped in a forty year old body, but I have found yeah. that that I was able to associate with some of the characters and related to one. Over the other, obviously, Philby Beans with a trivia geek. You know that—that's what I really enjoy, as well as all the trivia that you dropped through the book. Yeah, I, you know, I have kids, and I really am a kid at heart. Dave Barry and I have written the Peter and the Starcatcher series, uh, which is a prequel to Peter Pan. Four, four huge books, huge just in that they will hurt your foot if you drop them. <laughs> and um, you know, there's just nothing like being sort of authorized to remain a kid all day it's it's really just a wonderful place to be so i uh i don't think i've ever grown up past about 14 or 15 i know dave barry hasn't and uh together we just combine our weird skills and have a lot of fun and stay young and and uh romp around and that's what i've been doing with the kingdom keepers and i have a a third series called steel trap about a, a 14 year old kid with a perfect memory who gets himself into just really serious hijinks and uh, I'm having a blast with that series. The second one of those comes out next year as well. So I have a, I have a busy year coming up, Lou, because in, in late August, Kingdom Keepers 3 publishes. And in October, the fourth Star Catchers publishes. And in the following January 2010, the second Steel Trap publishes. So it's a, it's a busy, busy run for me this fall. I was going to say, somebody's been very busy in front of their laptop, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, you know, just quickly going back to the, to the story of Kingdom Keepers, you know, we, I was intrigued initially because it's, you know, what really goes on or how are you going to portray the Magic Kingdom after the last guest has left? But it's really kind of this, this epic battle between good versus evil with the Disney parks and the attractions and the characters acting 
really more so as the backdrop to it all. Yeah. I think that, you know, I teach, I'm over here in China this year, I'm teaching in a university, Fudan University, and what I teach is mythic three-act structure in contemporary fiction. And I think that at its heart, any good piece of fiction is some kind of mythic battle, even if it's a romantic comedy with Robin Williams in it. Uh, that those, the structure that the Greeks set up for us 2,500 years ago uh, is unparalleled and is useful in any good storytelling. So, you know, I didn't hold back in the Kingdom Keepers. It's such a perfect place to go all out with that without having to really veil it or disguise it. Uh, so I have characters like Maleficent and Chernabog and, and even the pirates of the Pirates of the Caribbean being on one side of this fence wanting to really corrupt and wreck the parks. And on the other side, these five kids who come into this pretty naively and innocently and even a little reluctantly um, at the behest of an Imagineer. And it's really up to them because they can transfer themselves between these two worlds to get into the way of these overtakers, the people who want to overtake the park and stop them from wrecking Disney World. None of us want to see Disney World wrecked. So hopefully I have the audience's rooting interest from the beginning to stop these weird creatures and... And then it's all the hijinks along the way. And it's, it's an epic story because it doesn't end at the first book or the second book or the third book. It probably will end at the fifth book, but it's been a really fun run for me. Yeah, and it, you, know, you mentioned Male- Maleficent. Very interesting choice of the antagonist. What was sort of your thinking when you were trying to figure out who the true Disney villain was going to be for the book? Well, I talked to a bunch of Imagineers and you know, not being any expert myself at the time, I, I wanted to make sure I picked somebody you know, bad capital B. And um, Maleficent qualifies. I mean, she's considered one of the, if not the most evil fairy. She's not a witch. She's actually a fairy. Um, And she's considered one of the most evil creatures that Disney ever created. I I personally view Chernobog above her in in sort of evilness. But... um, in, in talking with some Imagineers and some just fan experts like yourself, it, it was brought up to me that she would make sort of the ideal, you know, mother villain. And I, I actually got to Disney World and I spoke to the person who plays her in Disney World because she had spent over a year studying Maleficent. And she, you know, she's the one who informed me I'm not a witch, I'm actually a fairy, and walked me through sort of Maleficent's backstory. And I just think, you know, she's, you know, she can conjure fire. She can do, uh, she can transfigure herself. All of this was set up by Walt and his animation gang. So I don't need to come up with anything new with her. She's just, she, and she's, you know, she's horrid looking. I mean, who wants somebody with a chin that, you know, could puncture a piece of plastic? So, uh, you know, she sort of fit the bill all around. And I've had a lot of fun with her. I've actually, I've, uh, I've come to have a thing for Maleficent. I think she's, uh a very interesting and much deeper villain than I knew when I started this series. Yeah, and it's interesting for us to see her sort of outside where we're normally used to, to experiencing her, you know, in the yeah, films, in the stories. I mean, you've hit on something there, because I think that's the fun thing about the books, is these these characters do come alive in the parks, and they step out of what we see as their normal role. So... You know, there's an invention of a new role for them, and hopefully that's a whole new kind of imaginary ride for the reader of, oh my gosh, Maleficent's just out and walking around? What is that about? 
you know, and and hopefully that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, you re- you really make the part, and if it makes any sense, you make the Magic Kingdom and the attractions almost a character in the story as well. And you even make what I like to is you make reference to Walt himself, sort of uh, leaving behind some clues and some mysteries for the kids to solve. Well, I'm reverential about Walt, and and we, Dave Barry, and I had a fabulous lunch with Roy Disney and talked about Walt in depth. And it's, uh, I mean, he he's, you know, he's one of the great minds of that century. I think he, you know, not only did he change animated film forever, but you know, look at this theme park and these characters he created. We all care about these characters. Fifty years later, we care about these characters. There, you know, there are fan groups all over the world. You lead one. I mean, people are maniacal about Walt Disney's inventions and creations, and he's just a memorable, amazing guy. True, and you're right. You you do treat the parks, and you treat your your, your limited discussion of Walt with definitely a, a sense of reverence, and sort of the things that maybe Walt would do. Maybe Walt would leave those secret clues and keys and and places in the park for people to find. Absolutely he would, and I know I'm going to find things in the archives when I dig those up for book four and five that are going to be hair-raising. I, I, I need to go back to that me being jealous comment one more time <laughs> when you talk about going to the archives. But I have to say that while I was reading the book, um, especially as I started getting really maybe towards the middle of it, one of the things that kept on coming to mind was two words, feature film. Any chance, uh, <laughs> any chance of a Kingdom Keepers movie happening? I mean, it seems like it's almost a natural tie-in. You know, it, it seems that way to me and to several thousand kids. I, I bet I get, I, I get, you know, a couple hundred emails a week from my readers, and I'll bet fifty of them each week are, "When is the movie coming out?" You know, it's not up to me. If it were, we'd already have book one shot, and we'd be working on book two. Uh, I think that as fans gather around these books and pressure Disney, it will help. They, they were very close to greenlighting this at one point. They backed off it. They got close again last summer. They backed off it. Uh, you just never know. You know they're, they're, I think they're concerned with their own protection of the public's perception of those rides. And that is a hurdle that we have to get past. If we can get past that hurdle and it's simply fans knocking down their doors, they're ready to shoot these things. They seem right on the fence, but we still don't have a green light on any of them. So we'll see. Well, plenty. obviously, there's plenty of time. There's uh, certainly, without giving it away, the ending left it open for the second book, Disney at Dawn. Uh, you now have the, uh, the other book coming set in, in Epcot. But, you know, you said something that, um, that made me stop. You get all these emails from fans, and I think I would have to assume that the range of fans probably goes beyond just the 10 to 14-year-old boys and girls. Um, how much of the fan interaction, interaction and participation and suggestion do you take as you're starting to think forward to book four and book five? <laughs> Are you, have you been reading my mind, Lou? <laughs> Has somebody slipped you a note, Lou? They have not. They have not. Uh, I, I can't. I can't even comment on that. Oh. Okay. Um, because there's there's a huge Kingdom Keepers announcement coming up. 
but um, much more than you would imagine. Uh, that's, that's how I'll answer that. And if you go on the Wild Ride blog, where I talk about the Kingdom Keepers all the time, you'll see that I've already solicited kids' comments and readers' comments about where the romances in the book should go and where the plot should go. I use all of that stuff, incidentally, and I, I acknowledge kids in the future books. But the fifth book um, is going to be... I mean, again, I'm not allowed to give much of this away, but it's, it's going to be innovative in a way in publishing that you've never seen. Let me say that. And, and your question will, will be answered in a very major way. Okay. All right. I, I'm, my curiosity is much more peaked than it was before, and hopefully you will take suggestions from 40-year-old kids as well. So. I believe I will. And, and uh, you know, some of this I can announce in two or three weeks, I think, but there's... There's uh, there's there's big stuff brewing. Excellent. We will make sure we stay tuned uh, to your website, which I'll would I'll I'll put a link up in the show notes. But yeah. you know, you, you met uh, you mentioned early on uh, your being a founding member of the Rock Bottom Remainders, and and you sort of quickly went through the names. You know, like Amy Tan, who wrote Joy Luck Club. Dave Barry, who we know the com- Mitch Album, the sports writer, the journalist Scott Turow, who I have to say, whose one L book absolutely paralleled my law school career, and I think every future uh, law school Scott Turow was brilliant, in- um, incredibly accurate, as if he was following me along. Um, Greg Oz, obviously, I'm also a, a huge Steve K- Stephen King fan, and I love your tagline: "We play music as well as Metallica writes novels." <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. We played for 15 years, and we are no better than we started out. <laughs> so, is that is that where you met Dave Barry, or were you sort of working on projects beforehand and decided to start up this group? No, it is. It's, it's uh, Dave and I. All the none of the, if you can believe it, none of those authors had ever met, and uh, we met in the band. 15 years ago, all but Greg Isles and Mitch Album, who were added to the band later. And uh, Dave and I, for whatever reason, Dave and I became fast friends. And uh, over the years, we began to vacation with our families together and hang out together, travel together. We went to Europe together, did things like that. And then one day I was reading Peter Pan to my daughter, and she asked me how Peter Pan met Captain Hook. And I went, oh my gosh, how did this boy become Peter Pan? How come he never grows old? How come he can fly? Where's his little personal assistant Tinkerbell come from? And I was playing one of these gigs in Miami where Dave lives and staying with Dave about a week later. And he said, what are you up to? And I said, you know, I'm seriously thinking about trying to write a prequel to Peter Pan. And his eyes kind of went wide. And I said, would you consider doing this with me? Because I could really use the humor in it. And he said, I'd love to do that. And now we've collaborated on four New York Times bestsellers about how a little boy becomes Peter Pan. So the friendships in this band um, have led to amazing things. Stephen King and I collaborated on a, on a piece. He did, a, uh, he did an ABC movie called Rose Red, and then I was asked to write a book that was a companion to that piece called The Diary of Ellen Rimbauer that also ended up in ABC TV movie. So there have been all these wonderful overlaps as the years have gone on between various members. I'm over here in China this year teaching and living and Amy Tan's coming over in a couple of weeks. We're going to have lunch and dinner together. The band, what's wonderful about this band is, is first and foremost, we're all dear friends. And secondly, we happen to make fools of ourselves to raise money for nonprofits. And we've had a great time doing it. Before I start asking you about working on Peter and the Starcatchers, you know, you said that many of you met 
when you form this band. How does that happen? I mean, is there some sort of secret author's clubhouse that you go to and you're all mingling around the bar and said, you know, we should start a band together? Well, I mean, in this case, it, it was that when you're at bestseller level, you end up going um, out on the road to promote your book. And each city you go to has a person whose job it is, their media escorts, to drive you around and get you to where you're going. And uh, of course, we, all of those authors, including myself, have been doing this for far too long. And you, you meet the same media escorts each year when you go to the city. And in this case, it was a media escort in San Francisco named Kathy Goldmark. And she realized over the years that she had toured a guitarist, a sax player, a singer, a drummer, and she put this band together. Um, none of us knew who was going to be in the band. She just said, will you do this? Will you play, in my case, will you play bass in a band if I can put it together? And I said, sure. And uh, then I found out who I was in the band with, and I about fell out of my chair. And we all went down to Anaheim, California in, I think, 1991. And um, threw this band together. We weren't very good, but we had a great time doing it. And on our way off stage, Stephen King said, we aren't done here. And uh, in fact, we've been doing it 15 years. We've raised $2 million for nonprofits and uh, had a blast doing it. Wow. And again, I will also put links to all these things in the show notes so people can find out more. But let's talk just a little bit about Peter and the Star Catchers because it's a great marriage, the book, as far as its authors are concerned. You've got the thriller writer as well as the humorist um, coming together. But how do you, logistically, how are you and Dave able to collaborate. I'm assuming the two of you weren't sequestered somewhere in the same room with a couple of royal typewriters and some reams of paper. No, exactly right. We, uh, we weren't sure how to do this. We'd never collaborated with another writer. And what we settled on, I had to introduce Dave to a word that he looked up in the dictionary called outlining. Uh, and we, you know, I, I, I always work off of outlines. He never does, but he was very agreeable to this. And we outlined the full book realizing that we had to reach a point where we would decide why Peter never grew old, how he could fly, where Tinkerbell came from, how he met Captain Hook, how can he detach and why does he detach from his shadow, all these unanswered questions. So we made this vast outline and then we divided the book by character. Dave took the funny, humorous, lighthearted kid characters. I took the adult, piratical, weirdo characters and we did it by email. I would write a chapter with the pirates in it, send it to Dave. We trusted each other enough that you know we could do whatever we wanted. So Dave would fully rewrite my chapter and send it back to me. I would fully rewrite that, send it back to him. He would fully rewrite that. And at some point, we'd both go, hey, this is good. Let's leave it here. It was usually about six or eight drafts into it. And then the next chapter might be the kids. So it would be Dave writing the first draft. And I would edit that back and forth, back and forth. So it was this, what we called ping pong. I would ping, he would pong, I would ping, he would pong. Uh, and it was slow, but it was great because we, we can't even tell when we read these books who wrote what where. And that's what we wanted. We didn't want a book where you could say, well, Ridley wrote that chapter, Dave wrote that chapter. Uh, we wanted a book where it really seemed like it was Dave and Ridley writing together. And, and I think that's what we got. They've been highly successful. We've had a blast doing it. Disney Theatrical is launching a Broadway play and musical out of it. Uh, it's just been really an amazing ride. Yeah, and you know, you, you talked about collaborating together the first time being a unique experience for you both. Obviously, you're both used to creating your own stories, your own characters. Here you're going off of 
a classic, a legendary character like Peter Pan, uh, Barry's novels, uh, you know, talking about Peter Pan. How did that play into it? You know, having to resolve it with the classic story that was to follow what you were writing. Well, that's the beauty of a prequel is you know where it's going. I mean, we knew we were getting to a point where there was probably a relationship between Peter and, and Wendy ahead of time because there's a veiled reference to that both in the book and the play and the, and the animated classic. Um, we knew that Peter had to come back to retrieve his shadow. So we knew that's where we were headed. And, and thankfully, you know, the animated classic set up all these things about Tinkerbell and, and, and the island and the pirates. So we had a lot of our work done for us. We just had to find a way to get a kid to that point. And then the second book deals, you know, 450 pages in depth about shadows and the shadow world that Peter confronts on a daily basis and how it's after him. And the third book gets into Rundoon, this mythic land where the, the, the shadow guys dwell and can he defeat them there. It's, it's really fun, epic stuff. And we've just we've had an amazing ride with it. And again, saying that it's a children's book or finding it in, in the teen section is you know, almost unfair because, you know, yeah. you might say an adult might not want to go there, but um, I think they should almost be on both shelves. They should be on the regular well, fiction shelf and the, the children's section as well. Disney is actually, because they've been so wildly successful, Disney has done its own little sort of study of where they are selling. And we sell over half of those books into the adult audience, as does Kingdom Keepers now. So we, we our, our joke line when people ask at, at signings, you know, who's this for? We say eight to 80. Because we have readers and all those. And if you come to our signings in Disney World, we do signings every year in Disney World. We're doing another one this November. Uh, you'll see that actually it's more like in those places, it's more like 80% adults and 20% kids. Um, it has the, both the Kingdom Keepers and Peter and the Star Catchers series have huge numbers of adult following. And, and that's how they're written. They are, we do not... And, and I do not write to kids. I'm not going to lower my writing, quote, lower it, because kids are way smarter and way better readers than anybody gives them credit for. If there's a, a word in there that's over their vocabulary, they go look it up. Mm -hmm. And so we don't pull any punches. We just try to deliver a fast, fun, story, character-driven piece. We're not trying to write high literature here. Right. We're trying to take you on a ride where you cannot put that book down. Right. And I think if, if adults go into it knowing that it's a fun story set in a place that they enjoy, I think that they will have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it seems to be. I mean, we well, I get a lot of mail from adults about Peter and the Star Catchers and the Kingdom Keepers. Um, and clearly they're big readers. They know what they're talking about and they like these books. So I'm thrilled. I mean, you know, I'm in my 50s and I like them. So I, I would hope people in, at my age would. So who knows? Excellent. Well, there's more coming from the Kingdom Keeper series. There's more coming from the Peter and the Starcatcher series. Uh, fans will be very, very happy to hear that. Anything else coming up or what might be next for, for Ridley Pearson? What well, I think, you know, as you said, just stay tuned to my blog, Wild Ride, and the website. There, there is a lot more. Uh, we have, I think, big breaking news on Disney theatrical with Peter and the Starcatchers that will literally be any day. I'm told in about a week to 10 days, I'm going to have major news to report on the Kingdom Keepers. Um, I, and as I alluded to, there's huge news um, about audience participation in book five of the Kingdom Keepers. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff coming up and we just all need to stay. I was talking to you off 
off mic about Twitter. I think I probably will start Twittering about some of this to let readers know what's coming. But uh, there's there's a lot of fun stuff coming, and there should be. This is this is Walt Disney. It should always be fun. Absolutely. And, and again, for more information, you can visit RidleyPearson.com. I'm going to put links to everything, including your Twitter uh, account, so people can follow you there, as well as uh, links so people can buy all your books. I hope I have the opportunity to uh, to meet you face-to-face one of these days, and I will have you, obviously, sign my books as well. Maybe we can do a uh, Walt Disney World radio remote from our next signing down in Walt Disney World in November. That would be fun. I would love it. I would love it. So... Uh, Mr. Pearson, thank you so much for your time, for writing such wonderful books, which, like I said, I think, much like Walt Disney World, is uh, they're really something that can be enjoyed by kids and kids at heart of any age. So thank you so very much. Well, thanks. So much. Shout out to all your listeners. Thank you for the support. You've given me the best job on earth, and I appreciate it. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks to my very special guest, Mr. Ridley Pearson. Be sure to visit his website and blog over at RidleyPearson.com. You can purchase his books, which I highly recommend, right there or directly from the show notes at WDWRadio.com through Amazon. Be sure and stay tuned for further updates about Ridley's latest releases and when he'll be appearing down in Walt Disney World. Big, big thanks to everybody who's been so, so supportive during my move to Florida I'm happy that I was able to keep my promise and deliver a show to you each week. I'm actually recording from my new, albeit temporary, studio in Florida and look forward to continuing to bring you new shows each and every week. Thanks also to everybody who followed along via Twitter and Facebook on my journey down I-95 and my quick late-night video broadcast from the house a few days ago. I'm still getting settled in and I've been here just a couple of days but I'm really excited about some new things I'm going to be able to bring you from my new home closer to Walt Disney World, including more audio and video from the parks. I'll actually be posting a new video up on the site this week. You can go to wdwradio.com, click on the videos link in the navigation bar. I'll also be posting uh, more videos on a much more regular basis. Now that I'm down here, be sure and go back, check out my daily Disney diary videos for my last trip to Walt Disney World on each day of the trip. I sort of took some video, walked you around through the parks with me at events, on attractions, sort of bringing you just a little bit uh, more of the Disney magic at home. And it's something I will definitely be doing on upcoming trips. And again, you can watch those videos right by clicking on the videos tab at WDWRadio.com. Or if you subscribe to the show in iTunes, they've actually been embedded into the feed. You don't have to change anything. You can watch those right through iTunes on your iPod, your iPhone, or your iTouch devices. Like I said, Definitely more of the videos to come in the future. And now that I'm closer to Walt Disney World, that should make my monthly meets in the parks uh, a little bit easier for me and probably much less expensive for that matter. And uh, despite the craziness of the move, I will be doing one in April. Uh, It's going to be a very informal gathering of listeners and readers and forum members. Anybody who wants to come by, whether you're a longtime listener, first-time listener, a forum member, 
you're friending me up on Facebook, please come by and say hi. I love meeting you guys. These are great opportunities to do it right in the parks. The next one is going to be Sunday, April 26th. That's going to be at 1 o'clock p.m. Since our first three meets have been at the Magic Kingdom, Disney's Animal Kingdom, and Epcot, respectively, it only makes sense to have the next meet over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. And this time, we're going to try it over at the Sunset Ranch Market on Sunset Boulevard, right down the street from Tower of Terror and Rock and Roller Coaster. I'm going to try and get there early, get some tables right by the street so we're easy to spot. There's food there. You can get hamburgers, hot dogs, turkey legs, veggie burgers, ice cream, anything you want. Uh, We'll be there at least from 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock and even longer, depending on how many people come by. I will hang out as long as you guys like. Of course, there's no need to RSVP, but if you want to let me and others know that you're coming, I will put links in the show notes to a thread on the forums and an event page that I'm going to create over on Facebook. And if you're saying, you know what, Lou, I can't make it that weekend. I mean, you're cutting it just too close because I'm going to be there the weekend after. No worries, because I also will be back the following weekend. I'm going to be there for the 20th anniversary of the studios. I'm also sponsoring the WDW Celebrations Studio 20 event. So I thought, why not have a meet of the month and extend the fun a little bit longer? There's lots and lots of stuff going on that weekend as part of the Celebrations event. And who knows what Disney may have planned. So what I thought was, rather than possibly conflict with their schedules, I thought we would have May's meet of the month on Sunday. May 3rd in the Magic Kingdom over at the Sunshine Tree Terrace in Adventureland. I figured we're going to be in Hollywood Studios the days before, so why not head on over to the Magic Kingdom instead? There's plenty of places to sit there, get a cool drink, maybe a raspberry lemonade slush or a milkshake or an egg roll if that suits you, or maybe in my case, all of them if you like. Anyway, it's all in the name of research, all in the name of fun. Again, I'm going to post these links in the forums and again, over on Facebook. And as long as we're talking about meat, there's two more that I want to mention. Again, you know, guys, I'm very excited about the Everest Adventurers Weekend from September 24th through the 27th, 2009. As you may know, we are renting out the Adventurers Club for a private dinner and show on Thursday, September 24th. We have special package rates, including three-night stay, ticket to the dinner, the show, so much more. We've just released individual ticket sales, so if you want to just buy tickets to the event without having to book a room, if you're a cast member, DVC member, whatever it might be, tickets are available as well. We also have updated pricing with more discounts off the rack rate, up to $100 off or more per night. We have rooms blocked off at at All-Star Movies, Pop Century, Riverside, the Beach Club. Those are starting to sell out very, very fast. And once those room blocks are gone, we will not be able to add on any more. And again, please remember, there are a very, very limited number of tickets available to the event. They are selling out. We will not be able to open it up to any more. So if you're thinking about going, please come by the website at wdwradio.com. There you'll find a link to Mouse Fan Travel. They are taking care of all the arrangements. There you can ask any questions get a no-obligation quote on a room package, or purchase your individual tickets. And another event that I'm really excited about, I look forward to it every year. I've been there all five years. This will be my sixth year. We are less than four months away from Magic Meet 2009. This year, it's going to be held Friday through Sunday, August 7th through the 9th. That is a great weekend, a lot of fun, a lot of great people up there, up in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. And now, 
here's the announcement. Fred Block just let me know that the payments are going to open on Saturday, April 18th at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. Remember, too, if you pre-registered on the site, that does not guarantee admission into the event. So if you haven't pre-registered already, head on over to magicmeets.com. That'll speed up the process when payments do open up. You can lock in your tickets by paying as soon as possible at 12 o'clock on April 18th. For more information, for questions, for frequently asked questions, you can visit magicmeets.com. You can also contact them directly if you have any questions. Again, if you have pre-registered already, that does not guarantee you admission or any sort of preference into buying tickets. It's first come, first serve when it opens up on Saturday, April 18th. Last year, it sold out in like 36 hours. So definitely mark your calendars. Make sure you buy a computer within that first 24-hour period because I think tickets are going to sell even faster this year. Again, for more information, visit magicmeets.com. Don't forget that if you have any questions that you want answered on the show, please email me at lou at wdwradio.com. I know I am way behind getting to your emails, but I promise now that I'm started to get settled in, I will get to your emails over the next few shows. And if you want to be heard on the air, remember, you can call the new toll-free voicemail line at 888-703-2171. If you aren't following me on Twitter, head on over to twitter.com, sign up for a free account, follow my instant updates, play games along with me all the time over at twitter.com slash Also come by, friend me up on Facebook, join the WDW Radio Show group. I have links to all these right on the homepage of WDWRadio.com. You'll find those on the right-hand side. There you'll also find links to things like WDW Radio Live. I'll be doing that again very, very soon. That's a real-time interactive video chat where I'll be broadcasting live audio and video. You can come into the text chat room, ask questions, talk to me, other listeners as well. A lot of fun doing these. They often go for hours on end. I'm definitely planning on doing those very, very soon. Again, stay tuned to Twitter, the show, and the website uh, for more information as to when that's going to be. And as always, if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Review us in iTunes. Come say hi. Join in on the fun over at the forums. And of course, my friends, thank you again for taking the time tuning in this week, being so helpful and so supportive on my move to Florida. It means more to me than you know. So until next time, remember, always, always keep moving forward. I hope to see you down in the park soon. See ya. Hey, Lou, this is Mary Jo Collins from Lenore City, Tennessee. Just had a few things. Uh, One, I want to congratulate you on your move to Florida. It was really super fun following it on Facebook. Um, two, I wanted to say how much I loved the live chats. That was so much fun, especially the impromptu ones. And lastly, to answer your question that you asked me, I wanted to thank you for the best podcast in the whole wide world. It really makes my week co- complete. Thanks, Lou. Bye. Hey, Lou. This is from uh, Chicago, Illinois. I just wanted to pass on um, some great customer service we received from Disney Photopass. So uh, anyone out there haven't used PhotoPass before, I highly recommend it. We received a uh, our photo CD in the mail, uh, various photos, and some of the great ones are the magic magical photos where they take pictures with uh, characters in them. They insert later, and there's one in particular that we didn't quite like how it came out, and it involved Tinkerbell. And my son is uh, a huge fan of Tinkerbell, 
so it was pretty disappointing. All we did was place a really quick email to past folks, and uh, lo and behold, two weeks later, we received a brand new CD our pictures uh, redone, and they improved the whole um, Tinkerbell uh, picture. So it was amazing. They sent it to us for free, no questions asked. Um, they had the best customer service, and will continually do the PhotoPass service uh, from this point on. So I just wanted to pass that on, and um, I encourage everyone to try it out. I think. Have a great day. Hey, Lou. It's Josh. Um, I've called earlier today, but that's because uh, I'm off of school. So I uh, thought I'd just call in. And uh, I wanted to tell you, um, when I grow up, um, it's going to be a while, but I'd actually like to uh, become a, a show writer like Marty Sklar and Albertino and Xantensio and... Uh, um, I think that would be really cool, but uh, actually when I'm 18, I'm going to go down there and get a job for the summer, and uh, I want to be a Jungle Cruise skipper, so uh, I think that'll be really cool. And um, I wanted to tell you, um, there was a ride at Disneyland that I think that they should bring to the Magic Kingdom, and that is the Monsters, Inc., Mike and Sully to the Rescue Ride, because I got on Google Videos. Um, If anybody wants to do that, just type in Monsters, Inc. Ride at Google Videos, and uh, it will show you that, and it is a very good ride, it's just a Fantasyland dark ride, and uh, I think that's really cool, so, um, uh, Lou, another uh, thing that I wanted to say is uh, I got quite the collection of stuff, I'm uh, working up on collection of uh, Disney World memorabilia, and uh, one of the things I wanted to say that is actually a good collectible is um, those uh, 90s Disney sing-along songs, I got one. Uh, it's still in the VHS case, the little paper case, and it's a camp out at Walt Disney World, and it takes place at Fort Wilderness, and it has, a, like, river country and all that good stuff in it. So, uh, talk to you later. Bye. Hello again to Lou and all you listeners out there. This is Kathy Adams, and I'm here to give you all an update on the kindness project I talked about on the voicemail two weeks ago. The challenge to the listeners was to help my students reach their kindness goal by posting on my website, kindnessproject09.blogspot.com. Well, the results are in. Between the website and the school, we received 1,700 reported acts of kindness, donated 650 drawings to the Color a Smile organization, and raised $800 to donate to Make-A-Wish through Lou's Dream Team Project. Thank you so much to all who participated. Remember, you can learn more about our project and submit acts of kindness on my website 365 days of the year. We are looking for schools and organizations who might be interested in joining us next year. Visit kindnessproject09.blogspot.com. Have a wonderful week, everyone, and thanks again. Hey, Lou, it's Jay Visaki. How are you? I hope your trip down to uh, sunny FLA is going well. Uh, Christy and I are in family are down here in the world, and uh, we noticed something pretty cool leaving Haunted Mansion today. We looked around in the pet cemetery, and up in the very far left-hand corner is uh, apparently Mr. Toad. So we were pretty surprised about that, and I'm I'm sure that's a known fact for for a lot of folks. But uh, it was it made us smile to see that uh, he lies there in Requiem uh, as his ride is no longer here. But uh, again, hope you're, hopefully you had a good trip, and uh, welcome to Florida. Talk to you soon, Lou. Hey, Lou, Scott Green from uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's called to tell you how much I enjoyed your. Uh, recent show with the DSI on the land pavilion. It's not one that my family or I really ever visited much, so it's really interesting to hear lots of great information. One question that I did not ever hear you address 
Is there a musty water smell on the Living with the Land boat ride? Thanks, Lou. Keep up the great work. Bye.